0: welcome to comcast with tracy and clay where we discuss the latest in workers compensation law for both georgia and alabama we're glad that you're with us here today
1: So welcome to CompCast with Clay and Tracy. It has been a while, but we are back, and we are ready to talk about Georgia and Alabama work comp law once again.
0: Fantastic. Tracy. how are you?
1: I'm good. I'm doing good. Um, we're all looking to getting out and about again and and uh, good to see you, Clay.
0: Good to see you. So the topic today is pre-existing conditions.
1: Yes, yes. So, you know, and, and this is a hard topic for, for all of us, I think, in both Georgia and Alabama, right? Well,
0: it is. I mean, well, it's hard. I mean, well, one thing, because you've got a statute in Alabama, 25558, that expressly states basically that you get credit, the employer gets credit for pre-existing conditions. But in practice, that, that doesn't really happen.
1: Oh, so your statute says that you're not supposed to be responsible for pre existing
0: conditions. Correct. But the law in Alabama is if you aggravate a pre existing condition, same body part, whatever, you essentially buy that condition.
1: A hundred percent or is 100%? there a no apportionment?
0: Well, no, there's no apportionment in Alabama whatsoever. So I mean and, and, and the reason is is that you know, the people that were drafting the legislation wanted to avoid a situation where, where employees were suing each other based on, you know, how much this employer owed versus that employer or what percentage do we owe. So I mean, that doesn't mean that we don't have the last. I mean, that's why we have the last injurious exposure, which is another topic we'll talk about later. But pre-existing conditions, if you aggravate that pre-existing condition, you own and buy that condition at least until you get them back to baseline.
1: Okay, so it's the same law in Georgia, really, except that we're very clear um, in the legislature and with our case law. Um, OCGA 34-9-1 states that an aggravation to a pre-existing condition is a compensable injury. So, so you know, it's very frustrating because it's not logical, you know, and so. Um, you know, you can come to an employer, um, and you can already have uh, a knee where your ACL is 90% torn, you know, and then you are simply standing on the construction site, not doing a darn thing. I mean, just saying, turn to pick up a tool, like, you know, literally just turn to say hello to somebody. And you tear it the rest of the way and it's ours. That's our ACL. We bought it. Well
0: same in Alabama. So you can have somebody that had Eight prior low back surgeries, multiple fusions, right, and they you know, they they strain their back or injure their back, and of scope of employment, such as adding something to the, the situation, you buy that 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 situation. Now, this does not mean you know that we need we don't need to be paying attention to medical causation issues, correct, but, correct, because you know those those are our, that's something we that ought to be on our radar all the time, you know, you know you've got somebody that's had you know, perennial problems with a back injury or perennial difficulties with the back. You know, they have the underwitness actors on Monday morning after a three-day weekend. You know, you need to look at it. I mean, where was the last treatment? What was the last treatment before the event? I mean, if if they were symptomatic on the Thursday before when they saw their primary care doctor complaining of back pain, well, we may be able to defend that. It may not be the aggravation of a pre-existing condition. It just may be the pre-existing condition.
1: That's right. That's right. And so causation is huge. You know, in Georgia, I'm going to say there are two ways to attack aggravation of a pre-existing condition. The first way is with respect to causation is exactly what you said. So let's take the ACL, you know, um, example again. So let's say that the uh, claimant had already been recommended for surgery prior to the, the day on the job where he turned, twisted, said hello to a coworker, picked up his wrench, whatever he did. Let's say that, that ACL surgery had already been recommended. Well, then I'm going to say that's 100% non-compensable, that we're not responsible for it because all of the treatment that he needed before was already recommended before any incident occurred.
0: Well, it's going to be a case-by-case issue. I mean, right. let's say somebody Let's say somebody is recommended for back surgery and they are driving a company vehicle... The week before they're going to have, the, they're, they're already scheduled surgery, and they're involved in an MVA, and they have a traumatic injury to their back. Well, I mean, that's going to get down to the science and the medicine of it all. Yeah. I mean, you know, because, but if if we aggravated that pre-existing condition, so maybe they were just going to have surgery at L4, uh, uh, L5 before, and now they're a candidate for a, a two-level fusion, that's our condition that, yeah. we, that we have.
1: And, and that's what we see in Georgia. You know, and, and the judges are likely to relate all of that as compensable, even though you know some treatment was already necessary. So th- that's what we have as well. You're going to analyze it by the medical records, by the expert opinions, by causation. Now, I will say this. Um, and, and I said there were two ways to defend it, but I think there are three. So the first way in Georgia is what we talked about, you know, Look at the causation, what is the, med- what are the medical what does the evid- medical evidence support? The second possibility in Georgia is what we call the Rycroft defense. And this is really important because this is something that employers can do um, in a proactive manner. So we have something available called the Rycroft Defense based on the you know the name's based on the Rycroft case. So if you're an employer and you have a post-employment questionnaire, not pre-employment, post-employment, you have to ask very specific questions you have to say have you ever had an injury to your upper back Have you ever had an injury to your middle back Have you ever had an injury to your lower back and you have to go down the chart right knee, left knee, right hip, left hip if someone is not credible if they are not a hundred percent truthful and transparent on that post employment questionnaire and they have an injury to that body part and We have someone who can testify in court. Hey, listen, we never would have, you know, placed them in this position loading trucks or on the, you know, in this construction position if we had known that. Then we do have a complete defense to the claim. And that is something that really could help people in these situations with pre existing injuries or pre existing conditions.
0: Similar, similar law now allowed. Okay. Okay? You know, so it's part of the statute, it's part of the willful misconduct statute 25551. And we can talk about it as a separate. Sure. Podcast completely, but basically, if 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 they make a misrepresentation as to their prior physical condition in a post employment questionnaire, and they know, uh, or it's stated in the document or otherwise that they know it can affect their workers' compensation benefits, there's not even, you do have to prove reliance. They don't know it. Ah. Uh, okay. They don't know it. You don't have to pl- prove the employer relied upon it. Now you can still have that defense if the employer. I think at common law, I, you know, this is Clay's law to a point, but I think you do have that defense. If you've got a bricklayer who says, look, your job is to, you know, you're supervisor. Your job is to carry bricks from here to there, and you've got to lift 100 pounds. Do you have any problem with your back? No. Back's in fabulous shape, and it's not the truth, and you get hurt as a result. That's a different issue, but... You know, that's a very similar element. Similar
1: defense. Yeah. Because I think it's frustrating when you say, you know, someone can come to me. They're just about to fall apart. You know, if the wind blows the wrong way, they're going to crumple into a little heap on the ground. And now I'm responsible for everything that happened. Really? I mean, that that's hard to swallow. So the Rycroft defense, you know, that post-employment questionnaire does give you a little bit of protection. My caveat to you is this. Please clear all this through your employment lawyer, through your labor lawyer. Uh, Clay and I are not experts on the ADA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We only profess to be comp experts. <laughs> <laughs> and it is very helpful for comp. Now the third thing that you can do in these situations, and this is this is where um you know, this is something in Georgia law that is helpful that has recently been decided by the Court of Appeals. It's Big Lots versus Kiker. I say recent. It was 2010. Where have the years gone? Um, but anyway, if you do have a claim that's been accepted as compensable and the person had the claimant had a preexisting condition, if you are able to show that their current disability is no longer the result of our accident, but instead is the result of the pre-existing condition, then they have had what is called a change of condition for the better with respect to the work injury, and we are now off the hook. So, you know, for but but this is where you're going to need some really good medical evidence, right? I right. mean, you're probably going to need some diagnostic tests to say this is where they were. So, your surgery, your back surgery example was was a good one, right? So, you know, this is where they were pre-injury. This is where they are post, you know, post-injury. Um, the doctor's going to have to say, yes, with respect to the work injury, they have fully recovered. They are at full duty with respect to the work injury. However, due to their degenerative condition, due to their pre-existing condition, um, I do believe that. Um, you know, they still have limitations. And, and that's where, now that's a heavy burden. You know, that's going to be a really heavy burden. And probably the easiest way to do that is if you can actually separate the body parts out. Right. You know, I've got a pre-existing back injury. I've got a new injury to my knee. The knee injury's done. It's just the back injury. Well, something you know, similar done.
0: Is, okay, somebody has a compensable knee injury, meniscal tear, that somehow leads to a recommendation for knee replacement, okay? Right. So what is the purpose of the knee replacement? It's not to fix a meniscal tear. Right. I mean, a knee replacement is to address pre-existing profound arthritic, arthritic changes. So if the doctor says that's the purpose for the surgery, it may not be something the employer owes. That's right. Bit, you know, but it, but if, it's, if it's a natural progression of the original meniscal injury, maybe it is. So, I mean, right there, you know, the, the, the phraseology of the approved treating physician means a bunch.
1: Agreed. Agreed and agreed. And I think that in this instance, it sounds like for Georgia and Alabama, for those of you that that handle both states, um, it sounds like the laws are very similar, if not the same, and you can use the same principles and techniques to defend.
0: Many similarities.
1: Fun. Okay. Well, I've enjoyed this. Thanks, Tracy. Look forward to more. Hope you guys tune in again. Thank you for listening. Thanks so much for joining our compcast today. We hope you found the information we've discussed today helpful. And if so, please do share it with your colleagues and friends. Make it a good one. Bye.